Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm David. This is Westworld Cast Episode 8. Need a little sitar music. <laughs> That's beyond either of our musical skill sets. <laughs> That's right. Sad to say. Yeah, I don't even know if I ever touched one, but I have always loved hearing them, though. Yes, and hearing that particular song on the sitar was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. And th- I think they kind of had a Indian y version of the Westworld theme song, too. I think they did. Theme music. Yeah. Well, yeah. Since, really great. since we're talking about it, let's get into it. It's our top five highlights for Westworld season two, episode three, Virtue a Fortuna. Did you uh, like do you it? want to talk about the do you want to talk about the title? Sure. Before we go further. Mm-hmm. Um Virtue e Fortuna. So um I'm sure I'm gonna butcher this explanation and <laughs> somebody who knows more can uh, write in and correct us, but most commonly associated with Machiavelli's The Prince, um, in which he writes about Fortuna being like luck, the goddess of luck, and virtue more the resourcefulness uh, and brains and planning and Mm -hmm. action of the person. Like intentional agency, kind of. Yes, and how these things, how these two things uh, interact, and how they interact with free will. Um, so in Machiavelli's view, there was free will, but free will couldn't really affect Fortuna. Um, it could only affect uh, the other part. So obviously many applications for how this fits mm-hmm. in the last world. Yeah, with, uh, I would say in this episode with Rebus, his whole, I guess you would say virtue just gets, or virtue, however you say it, just gets turned on its edge there. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure we'll get into more of this in the details, yeah. but there, there are multiple examples and we see a little bit of the same with Hector and we see it with, right. with Teddy and there's, there's, um, they always do a good job of folding their title into what's going on in an mm-hmm. episode. And I think this was no different. And I think it's telling and interesting that, yeah, I think the essay, there's an essay called virtue, a fortuna, and free will or something like that. And so free will is included in the title, but in the title of this episode, it's not, which might mean something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, They may be talking about free will or lack thereof. Right. So what did you think of the episode? Uh, I definitely liked it. um, As I like all 
I've liked every Westworld episode so far, so this was no different. Um, I I think I liked I this one was a little more of a mixed bag for me. Hmm. So I loved particular sections of it. Yeah, uh, especially the beginning and the end. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then there was another fair amount of it that I thought was a little boring. Mm-hmm. I could see that this one. I mean, I think you've been kind of suggesting this for this whole season, but this episode in particular to me felt a little bit more like a straightforward action thing. Yeah. And I think in this show, the action is almost the least interesting, Mm -hmm. like a shocking action that moves the plot somewhere is great. Right. Um, But like a gun battle or, or whatever is the almost the least exciting thing that happens in this show. There was some humor, too, that even a little bit more than usual. This show, I wouldn't say, is known for being that funny, but there were some pretty funny parts in there, which is there were. cool. Um, there were. There was some good comic relief. <laughs> uh, so all told, I'm going to give this one 4.5 Violent Delights. That's not bad. No, it's a high bar on this show. I'll give it 4.4 teddies. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your number five? Um, so you led me, uh, right into this with the sitar music. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, right off the bat, our first up close personal look at another park. Um, Woo. Woohoo. <laughs> um, we all knew it was coming, but yeah. we didn't know what it would be. Although we probably you know, thought I, Shogun world. We did. Yeah. Cause we've had the little hints and glimpses there. And I got to say, I was disappointed in myself afterwards because, where would a Bengal tiger be? But <laughs> India world mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever they call it, but I'm calling it India world. Um, so we probably should have known that's what it was. Uh, so we start out talking about the episode opens with um, great Jack White song, seven nation army rendered on the sitar. Mm-hmm. And, but it, we can tell it's colonial India, but we can't, it takes a little while to sort of get clued into what's going on and what the these characters are doing. Um, and there's a little mystery, I think, around the characters because the female character, you get the idea she's been there a lot mm-hmm. and knows a lot about the park. And she's quicker, quickest to catch on that, you know, something wrong is is going on. Mm-hmm. But the whole sequence was... I thought it was amazing, coolly done. Um, You know, in just those few minutes, we get a new park, we get new characters, which is thrilling. Um, We get the information that the the, uh, host rebellion is going on elsewhere other than in the Westworld Park. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we get some really intense action. Yeah, The, the action in this segment was definitely good. It was, <laughs> it was tense and yeah. and riveting. So uh, I I loved that whole sequence. One thing that I found interesting about it is, and it'll be interesting to see how uh, Samurai World goes, which it seems like we're going to get to see next. Yeah, I mean, and we're talking about maybe not the too distant future, but we're talking about the future here, uh, and. These are now the two, both of the parks we've seen are essentially colonial visions. Uh, So you have the old West where it was, you know, white people from the Eastern United States conquering the frontier and the Native Americans. Yeah, I didn't think about that. And then you have 
what appears to be British India, which is classic colonialism. Mm -hmm. So it just made me wonder some other things I hadn't wondered about before. Like, have we moved beyond being offended by these things in the future? Uh, or is the park cater just catering to white people and Europeans? Or, yeah. You know, it just raised right. some new questions. I mean, even hunting tigers could be considered offensive but it, it suggested that there are no more tigers because i think somebody says something about seeing uh, oh no that's in my new section just where how they describe the park on the website is you can see animals that are long extinct gotcha <laughs> but um, so yeah that makes sense yeah i mean i thought the same thing that it feels well actually upon seeing this new world my first reaction was oh this is beautiful i love india i love the aesthetic uh just i my favorite vacation ever was when i spent a month in india there's uh so much beauty there and it feels more alive to me because things are more outside their people are more together they're not uh sequestered in their homes looking at screens they're out in the world and just the beauty of this whole sequence, along with the music, the sitar, which I love, and Seven Nation Army, and all of it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, imperialism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just created an amazing atmosphere, and it was such a cool and interesting sequence. But there was that other part of it that uh, made me feel like, is this what all these fantasy parks are going to be? Like right. a return to colonialism. But it very much parallels the situation with the hosts where it's about going in and taking advantage of somebody else, you know? That's true. So yeah. It kind of fits on another level with that. Yeah. And in a very short time in India world, um, we see the hosts turning the tables mm -hmm. on the guests. So we, you know we can assume maybe the same thing happened over a long time scale has happened in Westworld, but here we're just seeing the end point. Right. And you wonder if there was some kind of a signal sent out or was it just a natural progression of things? It seems to me that, yeah, it was all, I, I you know, Ford may have had just as much to do with this as he did with what happened in Westworld. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking um, that Ford's reach has maybe extended farther than we realized mm -hmm. uh, and, and triggered whatever is going on in all these parks. Cause the way he was controlling the events in Westworld, it's hard to imagine that he does not have some influence or control over the other parks. Yeah. And I get the sense maybe that Westworld was the first park. And so it may be the biggest and the most developed. And then they branched out into these other areas. And so maybe they're not quite as developed, but they still have the same foundational, you know, the same technology and they need the same kind of maintenance and, and development and everything. Yeah. And they don't really give us a time scale for how long it took to get from what seemed to be sort of the central place out to the outskirts where the hunt is going on. Mm -hmm. And they describe, describe that in similar terms to the Western park, that it's more wild out by the edge. Right, right. That's where the danger is, and that's where it's more fun. But, I mean, they were riding elephants, which aren't the fastest moving creature. So it can't be that far away that they got to Yeah, the it felt smaller the to me. Who knows? Yeah. But 
Right. It did. And it felt at least the way it was portrayed. Right. More limited. Like, here's what you can do here. You can be like a white imperialist and be served. <laughs> right. You know, there's a cricket match going on somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a big spa or you can go sightseeing or you can go hunting. I mean, I'm sure there's probably more than that, but anyway, uh, it, so apparently it's called the Raj, which is the name of British rule in India from 1858 to 1947 before Gandhi led all this uh, civil disobedience that led to the, um, you know, separation and emancipation, I guess, of India. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And yeah, Karen was calling it Raj World. Um, and I think maybe she said the Raj. So she probably knew that while we were watching it. Yeah, that's what they said online. Uh, but that's my number five, too. And so I'll just go into a little bit more. The The sequence with the two characters was interesting because it felt like a typical Westworld thing where you're like, OK, which one of these is the host? And I'm thinking, I think it's him. And then and then she shoots him. And I'm like, no, maybe it's her. And it turns out, at least as far as we know, because we don't know, that <laughs> it's neither one of them, we think. But right. y- yeah, you're right. I mean, n- not only um, that she sent something was wrong later on, but even in this instance, she reminded me of Man in Black a little because she didn't want to have a flirtation with this guy if it was a host because she said, you know, you just do what you're told and I'm not into that. I want. She wanted it to be real. And so she shoots him and I'm like, wow, that's, I hate when my date shoots me just to prove I'm real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's happened to me a couple of times too, yeah. but it, <laughs> it's always a little embarrassing, yeah. but you just move on and, uh, and painful. <laughs> I, one thing I thought during that, um, is, I mean, in one in one way, it was sort of a funny scene, but in another way, it shows how much the guests trust the technology. Yeah, we were talking about guns, and this sort of this might um, suggest that what I was saying last time that the guns are maybe tuned so that they won't uh, penetrate the brain of the host. Right. But, but it still looked like it hurt. Yeah, and there's a big mark there. Yeah. Um, and then later on when, uh, what's the, Gaiju, Gaiju, I think is his name, the servant who becomes rebellious, he killed the guy. And so I'm wondering, is he using a different gun or can he like tune the gun to be more lethal? Set to kill. Right. And I mean, the other thing is he uses this line again, these violent delights have violent ends. And... uh it was like, where did that come from? I mean, is that all being disseminated by Ford? Because um, that was Abernathy's line. Yeah. When he was kind of losing it in season one originally. Right. Yeah, I don't so know. But if you hear that from a host, yeah. you better run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't stick around to hear how that yeah. uh, sentence ends. But I mean, the guy, you know, they're having this flirtation and then she shoots him to find out she's real. He, he's real. And I'm like, doesn't he get to shoot her now? But I don't think he cares as much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like happy it. with the outcome. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. So then, yeah, we see uh, the rebellion is in full swing. Yeah. It was intense that she recognized that those dead people were human. No, no. I saw them in the train. Okay. And then the tiger comes out peering through the foliage. Roar, and I'm like, Oh, the animals are part of the rebellion or else maybe he's just being kind of tigery. I, I don't know. It seemed like he was pretty intent on 
<clears throat> following her wherever she was going to go. That was a great question, though. That um, is the tiger rebelling, and I mean, obviously, it's off of uh, safety protocol. I don't think tigers are actually supposed to be able to kill the people. Yeah, <laughs> but is it part of the rebellion, or is this just sort of a coincidence? Yeah, I mean, there's no reason why the animal brains can't be every bit as sophisticated and aware as, as the humans. Yeah. But but we don't know whether they are. Uh, And then they go off the cliff and that was really intense. I'm like, Oh man, I was liking these new characters and then they're gone. But then it turns out she survived, which seemed a little um, unbelievable, but I guess she fell in the water. I mean, the tiger died, but right. That was a great sequence though. (laughs) When the tiger charged at her. Right. That was pretty awesome. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I wonder if tigers are somehow easier to do in CGI because it looked pretty good. And so did um, Shiva in the walking dead. Yeah. It looked a little CGI ish. It did. Yeah. You're right. Um, But it still looked really cool. Yeah. It was cool enough. Yeah. Cool and fierce and expressive. I wonder, yeah, like you said, are all these worlds going to be of a similar um, concept? I imagine people's fantasies often do involve being catered to, so that would be part of it. But will they will they get future world in there? I I, I got to think that they're not all just going to be different historical periods. Yeah. What about is there going to be like space world? Yeah. Or, or just know. something completely you know not based on anything. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, yeah. what's your four? Um, so my four you also mentioned, which was Rebus. Um, mm. Stephen Ogg, right? Yep. Uh, who is also in The Walking Dead. But I, I, I love that whole scene with him uh, and the people and then him being adjusted by Bernard. Uh, <laughs> so first of all, there was some comic relief in that scene. Absolutely. Um, but also, the, that whole thing was interesting. And I think this show is at its best when it's raising questions, when it, it, it's making you think, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? So Bernard is able to direct port into Rebus, like through his leg with a hard connection, because supposedly the network is down. Um, so first of all, it's like, whoa, I didn't know they could even do that. Mm-hmm. But second of all, he's still able to adjust his personality with a tablet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was interesting for an awake host. It's like, hmm. So they, th- there's still some control there. Like they essentially bring him back under control, mm-hmm. which is, I think the first time we've seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, you so mean they, like normally they're in sort of a, they shut them down first. Yeah. But true? I think since the rebellion, we hadn't really seen them regain control mm-hmm. over a host. Mm, got it. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, since the awakening. And it, we froze it and looked at the qualities on the tablet like we did last year with me. But it was interesting. So he turned up compassion, uh, morality, and integrity. And I think the ones turned down were hostility and aggression. And then self-preservation was also a, a quality that was present on the tablet. I saw uh, some aggression there. That some aggression was left, 
you mean? No, I mean that he went and started shooting a bunch of Oh, people. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, no, and I don't think he turned aggression all the way down. Oh, okay. It's just one of the ones that was there. Was down, okay. Yeah. But there was some comic relief there with uh, Remus, one of the humans that got set free. She's running away, and he's like, let me escort you. Yeah, and peril like, rolls through these years. <laughs> yeah. ah, get away from me. <laughs> yeah, get away from me. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I bet I mean, Karen I really liked that. that part. She did. Yeah. And uh, But the other thing that came to my mind is, and this is kind of all through this whole season so far with Bernard, and it comes up with Dolores and Bernard too, is Bernard a traitor to robot kind? Mm-hmm. You know, because he's working here for Charlotte Hale and saving humans. Um, so where his loyalties lie in this whole thing is uh, is not quite clear. And Dolores clearly does not trust him. Yeah. I mean, is he still kind of... He seems really confused and he's obviously got something going wrong. But is he, at least in part, just falling back to his old mode of... I'm here to keep things running smoothly for the park. You know, <clears throat> that's his job to make sure that the hosts are all under control, basically and functioning. Right. Right. So it could be that, um, it could be that he is still running Ford's scheme. Uh, cause he was the closest one to Ford and like Ford's, you know, tool that was closest to his right hand. Yeah. And then the other interesting part was, yeah, you really see that he is malfunctioning and breaking down uh, in one part of the episode where his hand is really shaking and um, he's losing it. And then, again, when we're in this two weeks fast forward part of the episode, he seems okay. Uh, Again, leaving the mystery of what happened in between. Did he get repaired? Are there more than one of him? Mm -hmm. What happened? Well, we don't know. I was confused about the timing in this episode because uh, Charlotte meets Bernard in the complex and says, oh, you made it out. I didn't, you know, good for you or whatever she said. I didn't think you would or whatever. So that to me suggested, okay, this is two weeks later, right? After the scenes we saw with Charlotte and Bernard when the attack or the rebellion first happened, the massacre. And so then she's asking him, have you been able to locate Abernathy? And then he kind of gets this twitch and the screen blank goes black a couple times, kind of like how you feel when you're about ready to pass out. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's outside with his iPad and it it's like a Abernathy locator and she's with him. And I thought maybe that, and cause then she had said just before that she'd said he, he keeps slipping away. And so I thought we were going into a flashback at that point, but looking back over the episode, I think it was linear. I think they had just gone out right after that to look for him. And then, uh, because she's wearing the same shirt and he's wearing the same clothes and then they, uh, find him with Rebus and they get him and then uh, Bernard and Abernathy get captured by the Confederados and Charlotte gets away and then later Charlotte goes to Fort what is it called uh the place where Dolores is Fort Forlorn or something and Fort Forlorn Hope I think yeah and then she and that's where Bernard is investigating um 
you know, what this big file is that Abernathy's been carrying. And, and then, uh, all the violence happens and then, uh, Charlotte's able to get away with Abernathy. I think that's all linear. And I think it all takes place in the current time, two weeks, two weeks after two weeks post rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think time is intentionally confusing in this episode. Mm hmm. Uh, but we still have this whole gap of what happened in between. Yeah. <clears throat> Before Bernard woke up on the beach. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think any of this was in that period, though. I thought it was for a second when when that weird transition happened. But I, I don't think so now because it wouldn't make right. sense. That's how I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I When that happened, I thought it was a flashback. But uh, the way you're describing it makes more sense. Yeah, I think. Um, that it's linear. Yeah. All right. I will go into my number four, which is Maeve, Hector, and Lee all together. That whole thing was a little goofy, too, but kind of fun, I thought. Lee with his Huck Finn hat. And uh, I really liked the moment where he kind of he's messing with uh or he's mad that uh hector decided he's not in love with isabel anymore have you ever heard isabel before is that a new one i don't remember yeah, honestly i don't think we have anyways and then he like repeats hector's lines back to him like he has the people have done on the show before and kind of freaks out hector but then i liked how um may have kind of pulled him aside and figured out that he's working out his psychological problems through the characters and narratives that he writes. And I'm like, yeah, I think writers do that a lot. So it makes sense that he, his girlfriend actually dumped him, whereas Hector's lover died tragically. And so he wrote her into a narrative and killed her off and made his stand in Hector, the man who he wishes he was. Yeah. I loved the whole thing. I thought it was great. <laughs> and yeah, it was awesome that that's what it turns out to be. Like all these crazy outsized violent characters turn out to be, you know, expressions of Lee Sizemore's tortured psyche. Yeah. Just and working he, out his shit. <laughs> right. What he wishes he would be. And there's a lot of shit in there. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool. I think that the writer is a bit of a um, nudnik because I feel like that's the writer's poking fun at themselves a little bit maybe yeah you're probably right <laughs> or uh jonathan nolan and lisa joy poking fun at the writers <laughs> yeah right um, at their own writers <laughs> yeah but um it was great i mean and there was some comic relief here he's it's just a funny he's a funny put upon character yeah and this show needs a little of that it's so heavy and serious so much of the rest of it and um I, I kind of get the feeling that although Maeve continually makes fun of him and is using him, that she also kind of likes him, you know, in a way she sort of likes having him around. Yeah. Um, well, she thinks she needs him, but yeah, I don't feel a lot of maybe, hostility. but he, he's kind of, he's kind of hapless. I mean, yeah. D- does she really need him? You know? Yeah. I wondered that too. Why? But yeah, you might be right. Like, She's got some really overt hostility towards some people, but it doesn't seem like it's there for him. Yeah. She likes to tease him. Yes. And then (laughs) realizing that um, Hector's line about Maeve, she's all I ever dreamed life could be. 
And Lee says, wait a minute, you're still saying the lines I wrote for you? Um, and it, it's funny, but that is also where a serious moment comes in. Because um, And this has come up again and again. Uh, and especially with Maeve, like how free are they? Right. This is, yeah, about the title, Virtue A. Right. Because Hector, who supposedly has also had an awakening, at least to some degree, is kind of still playing his role. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that he did apparently overcome his programming and decide to fall in love with with Maeve. That suggests some measure of self-will. But it was implied when that was going on that she had control over him, or at least so I thought oh, in the first season. She, remember, she seemed to have some ab- ability to control hosts. Yeah. Um, she did go and try to sort of talk him into it at first, um, but... Huh, I didn't get that. That would be interesting. I, I I thought that she had wanted to bring them to it, but have it be their own will. And so she wouldn't want to exercise that power over them. But I'm not saying she's not. I just didn't think about it. Yeah. And you might be right. I mean, there was a couple scenes in season one where they're sort of becoming a thing um, where mm. she has him kill her. Uh, is one and the other where they let themselves burn to death so then the their bodies can be replaced. It always seems to involve that. <laughs> it's a little morbid. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's all uh, all natural. Uh, and so, as yeah. you say, she, it just happened. Right. Um, but he seems less awake than her. Yeah, I, I can agree with that for sure. Although she's had the same thing happen to her where she's saying lines and someone's repeating them back to her as she's saying it. Yes. Yeah, and that this was an echo of that. And then we see Arm, the return of Armistice with her cool new robot arm, which I think at first I was like, is that just her skin pulled off or did she reattach another arm? I guess we don't really know, but did we see her like cutting her arm off? I can't remember. Yeah, remember at the in the last episode of season one, she's fighting stuck. the soldiers and she gets stuck in the door. Her arm gets stuck in the yeah, mechanical door. So I think Pulled it what off. we're given to believe here is that she chopped her arm off. Okay. And I, escape. Th- I think what we saw was maybe what's underneath there normally. That cool hand that she had. Yeah, c- could be. Or, or she got one of those guys to reattach it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Reattach something. And uh, it was interesting that Hector says, you know, she he sees her... Uh, flamethrower and says she has a dragon like well how does he associate how does he know about dragons game of thrones world oh, that, up. That, yeah that's a good call <laughs> i didn't even think about that you're right i don't know is that a mythological thing in the old west i i, I wouldn't all right so that brings up a good question i hadn't thought about before uh so we know hosts like abernathy have had multiple roles and mave and a right. bunch of them have they been in multiple parks I don't see why not. Yeah, could be. <laughs> yeah, this point is a little random, but I was also just wondering why is Sylvester still alive? He seems like one of the ones that would have been killed. He does, but um, I wondered if they were just both being kept alive because they're useful. Yeah. They can re- do repairs. Right. Could be. They like torturing him for sure. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's another reason to keep him alive. Yeah, they had a grenade shoved under his chin. 
I feel like that's a good way to keep him quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, they're all walking outside. Maeve, Hector, Sylvester, Lee says there are four sectors east of Homestead. Then they find this snow-covered ninja head, and then they get charged by a ninja warrior, a shogun warrior with a sword. Oh, man, it was so great. <laughs> that was all the good action in this episode. It was when these, like, shocking things would happen. Yeah. Um, I kind of had a, had a feeling of that one uh, right before it happened. Yeah. Be- because it, it started being very cold and I think even snowing a little bit and you're just like that doesn't seem like anywhere in Westworld yeah and he had an explanation for it but I was like I wonder if they've strayed into Japan here is that what happened do you think they're in the other park I feel like that's what happened I I do too Um, because of the snow but they've also suggested you know the tiger showing up and I mean different that maybe the hosts are moving from park to park but I think yeah that they might be in Samurai well, and they, they have wreaked havoc on the infrastructure. So maybe there's weather control that's going haywire and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Okay, number three. Uh, so we, we talked about my number three already, which was Lee, Maeve, and Hector. Okay. So mine is the, the natives, this ghost nation. Uh, they're always interesting because they seem to not be uh, playing into the same rules. We saw last season Stubbs, went, the security guy, Ashley Stubbs, they wouldn't respond to his commands to cease all motor functions. And then we didn't see what happened to him. I don't remember if we saw them attack him, but it looked like we did. They, they were about to. So we, we don't saw know. them tackle him. Okay. And now they come upon Lee, Maeve, and Hector, and they won't respond to Maeve's commands either. So they're somehow able to um, circumvent all that. And they want uh, Lee. And then at the end, they confront... I think this woman from the India world is called Grace. I don't think her name was mentioned, but I read it online. Anyway, so what do you think is up with them? Uh, don't really know. Um, for <laughs> first of all, uh, but yeah, they're very interesting in that way, and I, I kind of have a theory that doesn't have a ton of evidence behind it. But the Ghost Nation seems to be associated with Wyatt, um, cooperating with uh, even way back before we knew who or what Wyatt really was. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ghost Nation sort of seems to be either aligned with or part of the Wyatt army. Um, so my theory is, are they being controlled somehow by Dolores or trying to work with her or for her? Yeah, because I think at some point, some of Wyatt's people also were not subject to control. Yeah, I think that's true. And... um but you're right. There's been a few instances in which they're on their own program, like not behaving the same as mm-hmm. everyone else. And uh, and it's part of what made them scary. The whole first season is there's this whole mystery around them. And they were also the ones that killed Maeve right. and her daughter. And killed her daughter in front of her. Yeah. So she's got PTSD associated yeah. with them. Yeah, as homesteaders. But... Um, but pretty interesting 
Yeah, I just think that there's something that we don't know that's going to be some kind of revela- revelation with them coming up. That's what I feel like. Yeah, and then one related question that came up with Ghost Nation and some others in this episode, and I know we've talked about this in the past, and we've decided maybe it's getting shot in the brain, but it's what kills a host? What can they survive? What can mm-hmm. they come back from? Because there was various examples of hosts taking bullets in this episode, and it did not stop them. Yeah, <clears throat> including Dolores. Yes. Which made me wonder if that they're sort of reprogramming themselves. Yeah, and the other question I thought this whole thing brought up, and you brought it up with Stubbs, they really are hinting at here, and no idea if this is going to come true, but that there could be multiple hosts or hosts replacing humans, because no explanation was given for how he got out of that situation. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, two weeks later, he just appears. Uh, so if there is some sort of infiltration plot going on, that might may be an example of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of areas to be explored with this show, and they're doling it out at a deliberate pace and we haven't seen really anything like that. We've never seen a human be replaced with a host. And that's something that I would bet anything is going to happen at some point. And maybe it already is happening and we don't know it. <laughs> yeah. And we might've already seen it, um, <laughs> but just can't be sure. But he's the, the two that are seem suspicious to me are him and Bernard. Mm hmm. Because Bernard, as you pointed out, seemed near death at one point. Um, And then maybe he's able to be repaired, get the brain juice, whatever, but it's not clear. Uh, And then with Stubbs, there's just no explanation so far. Yeah. All right. What's your number two? So, again, we kind of just talked about it. Um, What I had written was what kills hosts. Mm -hmm. So I think there is this whole thing of hosts replacing humans, but there also is going to be a thing about repairing themselves. Uh, They're going to have to create that skill set for themselves. Like right now, they're still using the humans, I think. Yeah. Um, And it doesn't seem like they couldn't develop that skill set themselves, but it's a little morally weird because they seem to think it's, you know, it's really screwed up that it's happening. Wait, what do you, uh, I'm not sure what you're saying. The repairing and creating of hosts. Uh Like, are they going to take that over themselves? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, even just more of their own race. Like if they're going out, if the ultimate goal is to go out into the world and whether they take over or not, or just exist there, what kind of maintenance goes into a host? What, how are they powered? You know, that kind of a thing. Like they're going to have to take care of that stuff. Yeah, remember she gave the whole speech to the man in black, um, you'll be under the dirt and, you know, a new god will stride upon the dust that holds your bones or whatever it was she said. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I remember thinking, you know, well, machines need maintenance too and parts and power and so they, they are going to have to deal with that at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the last point, and this is back on something we talked about earlier, was the shot the human guy took in India world seemed more impactful and painful than the shots the man in black used to take, say, from Teddy. Mm-hmm. Which 
almost just vanished when they hit him. Um, so maybe I guess it could have had to do with whatever he was wearing. If he was wearing a leather vest or that something. That was my first thought. Yeah. Cause this guy had was shirtless, wasn't he? Or maybe, right. Like a but it, I mean, it really knocked him off his feet. Yeah. So it, it just made me wonder if the man in black had, was controlling the environment a little more in some way, or they were going a little easier on him cause he's the boss. <laughs> it might be in part just a uh, storytelling thing because they really wanted us to think that he was dead because he flipped over and he was completely still for a second, you know? And then yeah. So, like, oh. with, I mean, this show is so well written um, that I don't like to pick on little things, but I thought that was a little inconsistency. Yeah. Yeah. It could and, have uh, a story reason, but yeah. Yeah. And Karen pointed out there was a little deus ex machina in this episode where, they're in trouble and oh they come upon an elevator miraculously yeah you know? that's true and that's happened a few times now where they're like i think there's some uh, an underground complex right around here where this rock is <laughs> right <laughs> it's like how do they know that yeah come on <laughs> okay my number two is with abernathy mostly and and bernard and charlotte and charlotte her main goal is to find abernathy and uh get him out of the park because he has this really valuable payload of some sort or another this big encrypted file and we saw last season charlotte told lee she was uploading 35 years of data to abernathy and he said i came upon this today he said i managed to make abernathy into a semblance of a character even with your trove of blackmail filing up most of his gray matter and she goes blackmail nice try you're not thinking big enough so at least if we can take her at her word, we know it doesn't have to do with blackmail. We've also heard in recent episodes, them talking about collecting uh, data about people, the humans in the park. So anyway, I'm just, I, I, I don't think we're totally clear on what's in there yet. Right. I don't think we are. Uh, it might be the hosts might even be recording of their experiences. Mm-hmm. So like being raped and murdered by these people as experienced by the hosts, that would lend more towards blackmail. Yeah. Um, It could be data to replace the humans. Right. With hosts. Um, I do like that. It's sort of an ongoing gag of Lee trying to figure out what's going on and failing (laughs) miserably. Yeah. He kind of represents the viewer. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Bernard, he's like trying to decrypt the file he says oh my god so you're wondering what the hell he saw but looking at some of the things on the computer that we see while he's working on abernathy uh it says host passenger imperative unknown genre na so he's considered a passenger at this point which or i don't know if he's considered a passenger i I really don't know what to make of that actually but there's these interlocking shapes maybe hexagonal on the screen and i read this online and went back and looked but the same symbol is in the notebook of the woman in the india world as she's pulling out her notebook when they're on the hunt with the elephants and everything she drew it on there <clears throat> so i don't know if that means anything or nothing I don't so know. that's so interesting that was one of the notes i had taken from this one was um, Grace's map or symbol or whatever was in her notebook. Yeah. Because she looked at it and 
you definitely get the idea there's more going on here than just some rube guest. Yeah. Uh, but it's not clear what it was. Right. So that's really interesting that it had something to do with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like she's involved in the park kind of like the man in black ended up being somehow. Yeah, I almost got the feeling she was like a QA tester or something. <laughs> but maybe not. Maybe she's there on some kind of mission having to do with Abernathy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's unclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was. This is just a stab in the dark, but I feel like maybe at some point we're going to see something about consciousnesses being uploaded. Like, you know, last time we were wondering, well, how come host Bernard has this quick flashback and sees Dolores in her cocktail dress when that was Arnold that experienced that. And so maybe at some point Arnold was able to upload his consciousness and then it got transferred to Bernard. I mean, that's pretty out there. It is. Or maybe, <laughs> maybe Arnold always was Bernard. Maybe <laughs> that's there's only one out. creator. <laughs> uh, oh gosh. I don't know. So uh, anyway, it was funny to see, Abernathy they really picked the wrong host to smuggle in this information out because he's so erratic and he was already like that he we really still don't understand why but it started with seeing this photo of uh, William's wife which we now know is James Delos daughter and he's like I gotta get to the train which I guess is I would assume Lee programmed him. That's your highest priority is get out of here. And by the way, you know, I, I was so confused last season. There was a scene with Lee and Charlotte in the train little terminal there and talking about getting Abernathy out of the park. And Lee told her he's ready. And for some reason I thought, Oh, he just left, but he didn't. Obviously he's still in the park. So I had been really confused, like, why not get him out? But I guess they were not able to get him out before everything went to hell. Well, I think what happened is, remember, there's the chilling moment where Lee goes down to the basement and it's empty. Yeah. Because all the hosts have gone to massacre the guests. So he went to get him at that point. I think he went to get him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They they put that in the previously on this time that made it a little more clear. All right. What's your number one? Uh, So my number one is Teddy. In this episode, I give him five teddies. No, just <laughs> <laughs> um, the point at the end of this episode where basically Dolores orders Teddy to take these guys out back and and uh, do away with them, and he ends up essentially betraying her. Mm-hmm. Um, he shows mercy and betrays her, and she sees it. And it's just a fascinating moment, and we don't really get any more outcome than that. So I will be very interested to see what the outcome is. But so my questions were, is he playing out his character uh, and the lawman, kind of a good guy and just can't commit murder, cold-blooded murder in that way? Is he betraying Dolores, and does she know it? or And she sees it. Um, or is this whole thing a setup by Dolores to help him awaken and she wants him to develop free will? Um, I might be overthinking it with that. I don't, yeah, I think she's ruthless 
And it's interesting to me that our whole experience with Wyatt for a long time before we knew that Dolores was Wyatt was that Wyatt, wherever Wyatt goes, there's massacre behind. And so maybe we should have, I was pretty shocked when she betrayed all of those, uh, what do you call it? Uh, confederados left them to die. I'm still not exactly clear why she did that. I think it was just to draw the QA forces closer so that when they lit off the nitro, it would kill all of them. Yes. I think that was the idea, but anyway, just very, very ruthless. And, and she's talked in this episode and last time about who deserves to make it. The truth is we don't all deserve to make it into the Valley beyond. <clears throat> which I think is the end game for this rebellion. It's escaping the park, maybe going through the door. Uh, and so within that context of her being ruthless and her deciding who is quote unquote deserving and her feeling like, you know, Teddy, he, I'm connected to him. He's the only one that, you know, I've been through all this stuff with, but now I feel like that was very disappointing to her that he, couldn't do that and i think it makes him less deserving in her eyes so she has to struggle with whether he deserves to be yeah there. but it's going to be interesting because we know that she is still despite her awakening attached to things she's still attached to her dad mm-hmm. you know, even though she knows it's just an implanted story um or that it's not fully real and, uh, you know, she really feels something for him, you can tell. And she feels something for Teddy. So if she thinks Teddy betrayed her, um, that's going to be tough for her. Yeah. And I think that's the point that she's struggling with these different personalities or different sides to herself. Yeah. Is she going to be proven in the end to be just completely cold and self-sufficient? Yeah. Uh, or does she need these creatures that she has feelings about? And I liked how, yeah, when she was talking to her father, she lapsed into that sweet country girl kind of vibe. Yeah. And then the last thing with Teddy and her is, again, back on him, is this a sign of awakening in Teddy? Because, you know, we'd said up till now he was, eh, maybe he was a little tired of her massacres, but he was pretty much following along as the pretty boyfriend. And in this instance, he really seems to be displaying a mind of his own. It's so hard to know. And to me, when we start talking about questions like this, it, it's, I have the same questions about myself. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. Is this my nature? Did I decide yeah. this or did I have a choice? <clears throat> there was a moment where I felt like she sort of integrated parts of herself where she was saying, uh, was it to Teddy? Here we are, a kind that will never know death, and yet we're fighting to live. There's beauty in what we are. And she always says, you know, I try to see the beauty in the world, and this felt a little more real than any time, other time she said that. Right. And again, she keeps saying we'll never know death, but it seems like they can be killed. Yeah. I know. If I was one of them, I would. you would think they would back up they would have hard drive backups at home. Yeah. They've been <laughs> resurrected so many times that, that maybe they're a little overconfident <laughs> at this point. A little cocky. I yeah. mean, she really is like, she reminded me of Ford a little bit where she's talking about who deserves to make it. And these men are all children and they need a leader. And it's like his attitude of I'm better than everybody else. Yeah. 
they're all inferior. Yep. All right. Any notes? Uh, just a couple. We talked about most of the the notes I had noted, mm-hmm. but um, one was when Charlotte was in the lab, and I think we did see this before. But they used a device on her to test whether she's human or not. Yeah. And that, have we seen that before? I'm not sure. I, I'm not I, I, sure if we had. Yeah. I I can't honestly remember, but um, it shows that it's really hard for anyone to tell apart, even experts. Mm-hmm. But then there, as she was commandeering some soldiers in a vehicle to go out and look for Abernathy, she said to their commander, are they stress capable? And he said, they're among my best. And just the way she said it, made me feel like the soldiers are hosts or maybe some of them are. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't catch that. Cause that would be an odd phrase to use if Mm -hmm. they're human. Like if they're human soldiers, they're soldiers. Right. Uh, Are they stress capable? Made it sound like, you know, are they built with, you know, some tolerances in mind? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's real interesting. So I know I'm obsessed this week with thinking other Hosts, other humans are hosts, but that that phrase stuck out. Yeah, uh, and then just a couple of homages, which I love, as you know. One is um, the death of a man by being set on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's there's a little homage there to the movie Westworld, oh. in which the guy that Yul Brenner, the um, man in black in the movie, is chasing through all the worlds, uh, is able to set him on fire. And um, and he kind of wanders around on fire, just like uh, the character did in this episode. And uh, it ends up being a false ending in the movie. Um, he later, you know, appears still stalking with no face, and and you see like the android innards behind the face. Yeah. But anyway, I th- um, they've been pretty conscious about tributes to the movie, so uh, my guess is that was a conscious one. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And then the last one was Armistice's hand, which you brought up earlier, really looks like the Terminator hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hand from Terminator 2, salvaged from the uh, from the original Terminator. Yeah, it looks great, though, how uh, the design of it and the movement was just like a normal hand, but it still felt mechanical somehow. Yeah, just, it was awesome. Really it. Speaking of Terminator... It was really creepy when uh, Clementine dragged that security guy up. She had this almost, it was Terminator-like, but also like she was just in a horror movie and she was the... Zombie, I thought. It's like zombie Clementine. Yeah, and I think she is, right? I mean, I think that when she, what happened? She got shot when they were doing that. Yeah, and they programmed her for that demonstration. So she's sort of a mechanical beast at this point. She's kind of droney, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was cool. And by the way, I I had forgotten, but I looked it up. So that guy is the one where they had dunked his face into the whatever material they used to make the host, I think, last time. Yeah, I think that's who that was. Yep. (laughs) All right. Well, that was my note, too. Just they now have, we know they have a human detector and apparently Charlotte's a human. So at least know there's one human on this show. (laughs) (laughs) She might be the only (laughs) one. Okay. Awesome. We'll take a little break. There is more to come. Stay with us.
time for some news. So this is a little bit of a downer. I was not sure whether I wanted to report it, but it's big in the news and I think it's worth talking about. So the PETA, the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, wrote a letter to HBO in protest of their treatment of elephants by the company that trains the elephants, basically. Uh, I won't read the whole thing, but part of it says... All elephants used for TV and film are trained through domination and painful techniques, including the use of sharp metal bull hooks and electric prods. Many animals develop abnormal behavior and become unhealthy, depressed, or aggressive because of the mistreatment that they experience. We've identified one of the elephants on the show as Ty, who is his name, who's owned and exhibited by the notorious outfit Have Trunk Will Travel. This eyewitness video footage shows trainers at have trunk will travel abusing elephants including Ty during training the cruel methods that these trainers use are standard practices in the elephant training industry carrie johnson co-owner of have trunk will travel acknowledged under oath that her company chains elephants for more than 12 hours a day of the four elephants born at have trunk will travel's facility all but one died before reaching the age of four and uh i watched some of the footage and i couldn't watch very much because it's they're just like smacking them on the head and just yelling at him and hitting him and it's really really heartbreaking um hbo responded by saying all the animals featured on hbo series are treated with the utmost care and respect for their health safety and well-being a certified animal safety representative from the american humane was present at all times during any animal action on the set of westworld the AHA has confirmed that the animals are well treated and the production received the designation of quote no animals were harmed we are reviewing the circumstances related to archival training footage, which included one of the elephants that appeared in the series. Of course, none of this video was shot during the production and does not in any way reflect practices on our sets. And then Peter wrote back saying HBO can't claim the high ground because Peter had already sent them this footage a couple of years ago when there was an elephant on another one of their shows, Silicon Valley, and that HBO doesn't monitor offset living conditions or, or pre-production training methods. So anyway, gotcha. I don't well, know. that's all a sad story. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear like that. <laughs> you know what's funny is that um, in the show, you know, the animals are androids, right? Um, and the tiger wasn't real. So, so the hunting, you sort of think, oh, but eh, it's just yeah. an android. Yeah, exactly. And then um, it's a shame to find this out. And um, I, and I think the response by HBO is disingenuous. They knew perfectly well what PETA was saying, and they evaded it in their yeah. response. They said, we didn't abuse the elephant, and that, that's not what the accusation was. Yeah. And I mean, when I saw this, I saw the article, and I'm like, I don't want to read it, but I read it, and I'm like, God damn it, and watched the video. And so then I started looking to see if there, if it's possible to train elephants ethically, and just based on a quick five or 10 minute search, I couldn't really find anything conclusive about that. So I don't know, man, I feel like maybe we should just settle for the CGI versions. Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, I mean, I really loved the, uh, the Raj, that whole scene yeah. just for the vibe of it. But if it means, uh, encouraging mistreatment of elephants, we could have done without the elephants. N yeah, exactly. All right. Well, this one, next one's a little lighter. This is the last item. So as of this week, you can go to discovertheraj.com to see a picture of this Indian coastline and some boats and the logo for the Raj and the tagline Adelos Destination. And then when you go to delosdestinations.com, the site now shows 
Park Six filled in with the Raj, and it has the description, quote, If being pampered by our world-class spa isn't your cup of Darjeeling tea, the park's jungles and mountains are your only chance to glimpse magnificent beasts long vanished from your world. Which suggests maybe elephants and tigers are gone. Yeah. I just went there and the website looks awesome. So further (laughs) exploration as soon as we're done here. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend checking that out. There's also Park 2 filled in. This is a little spoilery. You guys um, probably won't be too shocked, but if you don't want to hear what part two says, you should skip ahead right now. So what it says is Shogun World, and the description says, quote, for those for whom Westworld is not enough, the true connoisseur of gore can indulge their fantasies with a slash of a katana. Modeled after Japan's Edo period, Shogun World offers a chance for guests to embrace their inner warrior in a landscape of highest beauty and darkest horror. Let your true self take shape in the land where self-discovery is an art form. So that's more violent, even more violent, it sounds like, than Westworld. Yeah, maybe catering to Japanese tourists. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I would think it's not going to be in English. I don't know. I don't know which one of these parks, if you, if it was in English, which one of the parks would you go to first? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I might go to the Raj first. I think I would too. Just, uh, to be an imperialist. Yeah. And it just seems the tamest, (laughs) like to get, get your feet wet. Like a spa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, parks three, four, and five still say reservations closed to the public, and there's no hint of what they could be. Any speculation? Well, I hope there is some kind of future world or something like that. Yeah, I bet at least one of them is that. Yeah. Is some sort of sci-fi kind of deal. That'd be really cool. I, w- I would guess maybe medieval world, but dragons. Yeah, I was thinking medieval could be one, um, knights in armor, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Uh, definite possibility. And um, then Simpsons. And the, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one in the movie was Roman world, and that would be a great one too. Right, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right, that is it for the news. Let's move on to listener feedback. All right, from uh, Mandy Castillo. Best cold open ever. Yeah, I agree. Um, this show is sometimes equal parts excitement and confusion and coming across Imperial British India land was awesome. I should have known there would be a park dedicated to hunting big game. Um, yeah, good observation, (laughs) but the naive child in me was hoping the Bengal tiger was part of some kind of interactive zoo. Uh, No, it's it's gotta be killing in a Dallas (laughs) park. Um, this makes more sense. I hope we get to find out more about how these hosts began the revolt and if they figured out that violent delights have violent ends on their own or as a glitch. Um, yeah, it has to be related. Uh, okay, so on to the rest of the episode. This Abernathy mystery is a great one, and I hope his massive file is revealed soon. I have never wished I was binge-watching a show more than when Bernard cracked the encryption and we realized we weren't getting any more this week. Dolores is confusing as hell, and one moment she's fussing over her father quote unquote. And the next she's blowing up Confederados and Delos people alike. How are the unawoken hosts any different from Teddy? Why does he get to live and the rest are expendable? Uh, well, we'll see what Dolores does about Teddy's little betrayal. 
Sizemore whining over Maeve and Hector being off their narratives and in love with each other was a little stale for me. They're also self-aware and only keeping you alive to serve their quest, and you're mad that they love each other. Okay, Lee. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, great episode. I hope we see more of Stephen Ogg playing a protective woman-respecting good guy. <laughs> what a laugh. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. That was extra humorous. It was yeah. irony times two shows. <laughs> the biggest asshole on the show. Yeah. Completely turned. Jillian Moreau says, so exciting to see a couple more worlds thrown in there. Can't wait to see more Samurai World. Bernard is hurting right now. I think he needs some more brain coolant for sure. Felix and Sylvester are back, and I literally cheered out loud for that. Great episode as usual. Sherry Morford says, I enjoyed the episode. I'm wondering if the girl who was attacked by the Bengal tiger will end up being the man in black's daughter. Ooh. She kind of looked like his wife from the flashback and seems very adept at navigating the Delos world of hosts. Like someone who grew up with Westworld and all of the other parks. What a great theory. Right. Yeah, I think it's highly possible. Yep. Bryson Wolf says, thinking about the Rebus scene, back in the first episode of the season when they're exterminating hosts by shooting them, we hear, we hear Rebus say something like, shooting a lady over my dead body. That scene must not be a flashback. It must have happened after all the events of this episode since Rebus is programmed to be a hero instead of a villain. I didn't catch that. No, I didn't either. What does that do to our timeline? It uh, messes it all up. Yeah. It? <laughs> yeah, because that would go put, back and watch that. That would put what we just saw again in the past before all, that scene on the beach. Yeah. Which doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. I don't know. Hmm. Rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, James Aducci says great episode love the Raj and Shogun world at the end my only beef is the assault on the fort the best tactics the futuristic troops could come up with was walk across an open field slowly towards the fort and then throw in a couple of completely open and unarmored dune buggies what would current day special forces do attack at night with night vision goggles helicopters armed drones fighter jets uh, <laughs> it's a good point I yeah. think that's a pretty fair point yeah it's hard to orchestrate these. I mean, I guess I shouldn't excuse it, but yeah, it is a good point. <clears throat> okay, Elizabeth Nikolaevich goes into some more depth about Virtue a Fortuna, so I thought it was interesting. She says, Virtue good. A- she's going she's about to explain everything we were unable to. <laughs> <laughs> Virtue a Fortuna is a direct reference to philosophical problems presented in The Prince by Niccolò Machiavelli, Critical Essays, Virtue, Fortuna, and Free Will. In chapter 5, or chapter 25, Fortuna is introduced, but present throughout. Briefly, in classical Roman mythology, Fortuna, luck, or fortune is portrayed in a positive light, all the circumstances humans cannot control. Common symbol is an overflowing cornucopia. Christian philosopher Boethius, Boethius focused on Fortuna's dark side, the ability to dash human hopes and ambitions, a symbol of a turning wheel. People rode to the top and then thrown to the bottom of the next turning. Virtue is human energy or actions, drive, talent, or ability directed towards achievement of certain goals that stand in opposition to fortuna. Virtue without opportunity is wasted, and opportunity wasted if no virtue. According to Machiavelli, one must bend fortuna to one's own will. It's the relationship between fortuna, virtue, and will, as well as circumstances of the times that bring success or failure. For example, if by nature aggressive and and 
or if you're by nature aggressive and times are right for aggressive action, then you're successful. But when times change and you cannot change your nature with them, then failure is brought about. Obviously, free will is left out of the episode title. According to Machiavelli, people can only act according to their natures, which people are not flexible enough to change, since there lies the contradiction and debate. If we cannot change our natures, but mankind has free will otherwise, virtue would be useless. Free will appears illusory. Machiavelli seeks to deny fatalism, but argues himself into it. Yeah, I think I think she is saying that if we cannot change our natures, or she's saying that he's saying, yeah. there is no true free will true if we free can't will. change our natures. And Machiavelli did not like that point of view, but ended up sort of arguing himself into it. Mm-hmm. And then she goes on, it translates in, in psychology to quote, one of the dark triad personalities characterized by a duplicitous interpersonal style, a cynical disregard for morality and a focus on self-interest and personal gain. Dolores sounds like a metaphor for Machiavellian personality. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I mean, Dolores, um, where's Ford in all this? Pretty Machiavellian mm-hmm. uh, in that in the classic sense. Yeah, the most. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then a lot of other characters that don't fit quite fit that description. Okay, we have a couple calls here. From first one is from Becky from Savannah. Hi, Becky from Savannah here. Just wanted to call in about last night's uh, episode three of Westworld season two. Um, I think there are a couple of things that. Um, as viewers, it's, it's, it's been kind of confusing so far. So there's a couple of things as viewers that we have to kind of keep in mind, like as we're watching, so we don't get too distracted. Because I think that they try to distract you um, from what's going on, so that you can have like a big revelation at the end. Um, one thing is that, first of all, they kind of hinted at, and it's if it hasn't been. Um, obvious so far it's been painfully obvious in episode three there are two different bernards operating here um on the two different timelines the one that has a scar on his head from where he shot himself in season one that was running around with charlotte the second one that is with strand uh in the two weeks later timeline seems to have been maybe a different Bernard. I don't know if it's a different robot um, or if he's just, but his scar is no longer there. I don't think he's wearing his glasses any longer. Um, He's dressed differently and it appears that his brain has either been wiped or his little light bulb brain thing has been switched out with somebody else's. I'm sure that there's theories on that. I've been trying to stay off Reddit this season because I don't want to ruin it for myself. But, um, uh, I don't know exactly what's going on there. They're trying to use Bernard for something, and they either the QA team has, like, tampered with him or maybe Dolores has tampered with him. Uh, We saw Clementine walk away with him. It could have happened then. But we have to remember Bernard is not a reliable source because in Episode 1, we learned his body was in critical failure, and um, it said that was going to have uh, loss of motor function, aphasia, and I can't remember what the word was, but I looked it up and it was like um, the inability to recognize people. Um, 
for their, by their faith. So everything that we're seeing from Bernard's perspective, we can't really trust. So that may have been Clementine that knocked him out. It may not have. It may have been Charlotte. It may have been anybody because um, we can't trust his perspective at this point. Um, plus, the, the season opened with Bernard in a memory with Dolores, and it started with him kind of waking up and saying, what were we talking about? And um, she said, oh, we were just talking or whatever. The only time we've seen that previously was when Bernard would wake up uh, in the hospital with his son, Charlie, and we learned later that those were, the fact that he was waking up at the beginning of the memory was that it was like a cold open to a forced memory implant that Ford had given him. So I'm wondering, is this, opening scene with Dolores, was it dropped in there by Ford, or was it dropped in there by the QA team, or was it dropped in there by somebody else? Um, I just don't know. I feel like any any scene that Bernard is in, I just, like, if it's from his perspective, I can't trust it right now. So I kind of just watch all of that with a grain of salt. But um, I absolutely love the new India uh, Jungle Book world. <laughs> that they showed early 1900s India tiger hunting. That was freaking awesome. I would totally go full Jungle Book if I... That would be the one I would take out of the three we've seen so far. I'd totally go full Jungle Book, go for against Dave Mowgli's ass. That was awesome. But I do... Westworld sometimes kind of makes me question myself, just like Game of Thrones does sometimes. Maybe I need to start watching different TV. Because that opening scene with uh, the chick from Leftovers and that other guy... I was like, man, this is a really hot scene, yeah. And then uh, afterwards, I was like, I think I just got turned on because she shot that guy. <laughs> Maybe I should just stick to watching Bubble Guppies with my three-year-old from now on. I don't know. But um, can't wait to hear your thoughts on the episode. Love you guys. <laughs> it's fine. You're, you're fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you have our blessing. Yeah. Um, great call. Yeah. Uh, lots, of, lots of stuff there. Um. First of all, a chick from Leftovers. Who is she in Leftovers? You know, now that she said that, she seems familiar. Was she one of the technicians at the end One there? of the doctors? Yeah, I uh, think so. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I usually recognize people right and left, and that drives me crazy because I can't remember who it is, and it ruins yeah. the whole show for me. But I <laughs> did not recognize her. Yeah, I don't think I did either. Maybe deep, deep in the back of my mind. <clears throat> the things, yeah, about Bernard, I didn't notice the lack of a scar, but it, I, I don't know if I'm right about this, but if I am right, that everything we saw from Bernard, this episode takes place after he woke up on the beach, then, um, that still just suggests that, yeah, we don't really know what happened to him before that, that. Yeah. I, I would say it's still unexplained mm-hmm. and, um, and Becky may very well be right. Uh, and I actually offered that theory myself. I think last week or two weeks ago that there are two Bernards mm-hmm. or at least two. <laughs> um, but I think it's also not totally clear because there is this span of time in between where he could have been repaired, um, you know, maybe more brain coolant, but maybe a repair more serious than that or some other kind of change. And they do have the ability to repair things like scars. Yeah, that's right. Um, so it might be two of them, but it, it might not be. Another thing we didn't mention is I'm pretty sure the last time we saw Bernard in the show was when he came upon that massive 
bunch of floating dead hosts in the lake. And uh, we didn't see any follow-up to that, so... No, and he said I killed them. Right. Did he say that out loud to to Stubbs, maybe? Yeah, so, gosh, man... Now, where's I, that in our timeline? Yeah, where's that in the timeline? If you feel like you have better grasp on the timeline right in and let us know all right i want to know yeah and uh i'm gonna think about that too we we should both try writing it we, out we before should, next yeah. week and then see what we each come up with yeah. i bet it will not be the same <laughs> <laughs> and also we didn't mention that yeah clementine whacked bernard and then dragged him off that was pretty shocking and unexplained yeah the hell yeah one thing one comment we made about that is wait a minute was that like a hollywood knockout for androids um and also when he hit um steven Ogg with a rock mm-hmm. but it 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 was kind of like a hollywood knockout where just magically they're unconscious oh, I see. um yeah. but also um it looked like bernard hit rebus in a particular spot like he knew where to he hit him. knew where yeah. yeah maybe uh clem knows that spot too okay we have one more call this is emily reeves hey fellas what's up it's emily from arizona just wanted to give you my feedback on westworld Uh, a couple things jumped out at me the first was uh it was so good to see Stephen Ogg. i'm sure that you guys probably have already talked about that at length but uh it was just so fun to see him in that role i loved his top hat and his quirky mustache I loved how they changed his personality on a dime, and uh, it was really funny to see him running after that woman trying to help her, and she's like, get away from me! Uh, just really got a kick out of that. So I, I hope they continue to have fun with his character. Um, it was also fun to see them have fun with Lee in his, you know, 1800s uh, outfit, you know, just leading the jackass along the desert and just seeing him in that position was really funny and uh so those were some good comedic moments that I enjoyed and then also the last thing is I wanted to get your guys's opinion on whether you think that Teddy the actor that plays Teddy is he a good actor and Teddy is just really shallow at this point or is he just a bad actor and Teddy is supposed to have a little bit more depth than he seems to have on the screen So anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So take care, guys. Thanks. (laughs) Is there a third choice? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sticking up for Teddy. I think he's a good actor, and that's what the character is. Yeah, I I do too. And I think actually this episode we saw a little bit more depth. Yeah, and he's had a little bit more depth in certain situations Mm -hmm. uh, that you very occasionally get to see. But he was given a strong role. I mean, he's this, uh, you know, archetypal protector, protective uh, love interest guy. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the way he plays it. And I do feel like what we're supposed to come away with here is that Dolores loves Teddy, but she has to struggle with the idea that he may not be as awake as he needs to be to be considered deserving. And so I think that I forgot the guy's name, James Marston, is playing it that way where he wants to seem like he's really struggling to to wake up but he's not quite there yeah always tough to be with a girlfriend who's judging you like that (laughs) all the time not that either one of us has any experience with that (laughs) no 
All right. That is our show, episode eight. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com. Or you can send a voice message to westworld at podcastica.com, and maybe we will play it on the air. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Next week, we'll cover Westworld Season 2, Episode 4, The Riddle of the Sphinx. Egypt World. Egypt World. Here we come. <laughs> I guess so. All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Bye.